Um, and good morning, everyone, including our friends on Zoom. Um, thank you all for, for being here. Uh, it's, it's nice. It used to be we had maybe this many people, most of the time not in the Zendo. Um, and now we not only have more people here, but more people attending virtually. It's uh, very nice. Um, so today's talk, I'll be continuing a bit on the topic of the five hindrances that we've started the last couple weeks. And uh, when I told Mado that I was hoping to visit and give a talk, um, she asked me what I might like to talk about. And I said, maybe sleep would be a good topic. And she said, uh, unless you have anything in mind. And she said, well, we'll be starting discussion on the five hindrances. And I said, perfect, sleep is my favorite hindrance. <laughs> <laughs> um, one that I'm particularly good at. Um, so this, the, the hindrance that might include sleep, the, the Pali word is Tina Mita, and it includes uh, a lot of things, possible translations, uh, torpor, laziness, boredom, apathy, uh, sleep clearly uh, fits into this. And it's uh, one that I, uh, struggle with quite a bit, um, and I just this is kind of a, a collage of topics related to sleep. Uh, it's a kind of exploration of the the topic and how it relates to my practice and what I've learned from it. And um, so of course sleep is, is necessary. And sometimes when I tell people that I struggle with um, sleeping too much, it's often, oh, don't be so hard on yourself. You know, you need, you need to sleep, you need to rest, let yourself rest. I don't need to let myself rest for 10 or 11 hours, <laughs> I don't think, uh, which, is, which is often the case. Um, and there's of course a balance here that I'm, I'm trying to find with, with sleep. And so it's, it's not just about getting enough sleep, which I'm a big advocate of in general, um, but it, it seems to affect uh, a lot of things, not just the time spent lying in bed, but often it's eight hours of sleep and then two hours of ruminating, uh, which usually uh, isn't about positive things. Sometimes it might be, um, but I'm not sure how useful that would even be just attached to positive thoughts isn't particularly useful in the in the abstract I don't think but but more often it's negative and I'll work myself into frenzy thinking about something sometimes I drift in and out of sleep which whatever uh, science articles I've read online tells me isn't particularly good for you either uh, which I feel like I can attest to in my own experience we uh, it messes with your hormones. You know, we, we, our body dumps a bunch of cortisol or whatever other hormones when we wake up and when we fall back to sleep, it tries to downregulate those. It does all sorts of weird things to the body chemistry. And 
And I can feel that if I spend some time drifting in and out of sleep, I wake up and I just don't feel very sharp. I don't feel motivated. Uh, whereas if I actually just get up and wake up on time, um, which I do for a few weeks out of the year, <laughs> um, I feel much better. Um, so I, I don't think it's, again, it's not just about this, you know, be nice to yourself, let yourself rest. Um, I do think that's important. Um, and even if I, I somehow manage to, um, you know, I, I wake up and I, I don't, uh, I don't meditate um, because it's already 10 o'clock or something. And I feel like I have to get my day started and have breakfast. And even sometimes I'll go back and sit. And I think I sort of enable through that a little bit to let go of whatever guilt comes with this process. Um, I still think I can feel I'm just not quite, uh, not quite as with it as I might be otherwise. Uh, so it's a, it's a major thing for me. It's been going on for years. I've told Mato a lot about it. <laughs> had plenty of conversations uh, just about for as long as I can remember. And it's sort of compounded by the fact that I have a job that I don't need to wake up for every day, uh, which in some ways I want because maybe that would regulate my sleep schedule a little bit. But then of course, when I think about it, I don't, I don't want that. I very, it's, it's a luxury to be able to, to sleep in and many people have to wake up for work or for children or for pets and wish they could sleep in. So, um, it's not quite as simple as just, well, I'll put myself into a situation where I have to wake up or something like that. Um, and thinking about this, I, I noticed that this particular uh, struggle uh, involves all of the other hindrances in some way or another. But there was an interesting illustration of interconnectedness. We think of interconnectedness as a, in these positive terms, but there's interconnectedness and the sort of, uh, uh, in, the, in the obstacles we face in our practice. Um, sense, sensory desire or attachment uh, is clearly a huge part of this. It feels really good to me to lie in bed under the covers. Um, and I just don't wanna get up, especially in the winter when it's kind of cold in my house, I, I heat with wood. And so by the time I wake up, it's often in the fifties really don't want to get out of my warm bed and have to go start a fire. Um, doesn't seem desirable to me. Uh, ill will or anger. I was thinking, I thought, how does this connect? And then I realized, oh yeah, it does. Because when I'm working myself into a frenzy with these thoughts that I have, it's often directed at someone. Um, last year, it was my boss. <laughs> Uh, many years before that, it was a roommate. Uh, if I'm dating someone or not dating someone, <laughs> there's, there's many people that could be targets of these ruminations. Um, and interestingly, restlessness, um, which is another hindrance, which might seem like the opposite of laziness or torpor, it's clearly this restless thinking that, that takes over and sort of prevents me from getting up in a way, so that's certainly there. 
and, and doubt is certainly there too. I often get stuck in bed because I don't make a quick decision to just get up and go. That's the best, that's the, the best way if I just don't think about it and go. But sometimes I'll, if I didn't get to sleep when I wanted to, sometimes I will sleep in more because I, I really need to sleep. I'm someone I know, I have friends that sleep six hours a night and they're just fine. But if I do that for more than a day or two, um, I, I really, dislike it and, and it just is very difficult for me. So maybe I got to bed late and I wake up and I thought I've only slept six hours. Well, it's only been one day. I'll, I'll probably be fine if I get up, but I could sleep an extra hour. I don't really have to do anything. And then this just turns into I don't know, two and then, then my mind thinks, well, what do I want to do? Maybe I could get up and do yoga. Or no, I could go for a bike ride. Weather's good this morning, but then I should eat breakfast first. And and then this just leads into whatever wandering that can last for, I mean, really last for hours. Um, so all the, all the other hindrances are sort of contained in this, which is one, one thing that I learned reflecting on this a little bit. Um, another topic related here is the fact that sleep is obviously not a hindrance to practice. If we didn't sleep, we would die simply. <laughs> Uh, so, so sleep is also the opposite of a hindrance. It's also something that enables our practice. Um, even uh, not sleeping enough is, you know, I've read, can lead to cognitive issues later in life. And, and for me, if I don't sleep enough, it leads to immediate cognitive issues. I mean, I really can't focus or um, work. It's a lot more difficult. Um, and I remembered a talk that I saw on YouTube a long time ago from a Theravadan monk, um, Ajahn Brahm. Maybe you know the name, he's an author and has lots of videos. I think he was one of the first people on YouTube. So when I looked up these things seven years ago before the flood that's out there now, it was one, one voice that I found. And he was telling a story of when he was a monk and they had to wake up at 4 a.m. to meditate and this wasn't good enough for some of them because they were these young ambitious monks so some of them started to wake up at 3 a.m. and then some of them started to wake up at 2 a.m. but I don't know what time they got to bed but you can imagine no matter what time you get to bed I think waking up at 2 a.m. is going to be hard to stay awake and he said they devised all sorts of tricks to try to stay awake meditating early in the morning and he said that the one thing that he thought was really genius was to put an open matchbox on his head so that if he nodded off, it would fall over and the matches would scatter and this would be a big enough deterrent to falling asleep. And he said it worked pretty well for a while because after it happened a couple of times, it was very embarrassing and makes a lot of noise and everyone's trying to meditate. And so they're really determined not to let it fall. Um, but then a fellow monk said to him, it's not working. I see you nodding off. Instead of doing this, I see you doing this now. <laughs> Finding a way to keep, keep the matchbox balanced, even though he's falling asleep anyways. And anyway, so the Ajahn's conclusion of this was that what, what this was absolutely absurd. What, what are we doing? We need sleep to live and practice. And it's coming kind of out of a place of arrogance um, to try to think that you can overcome sleep. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to do. In the Epic of Gilgamesh, 
which is one of the very first uh, literary texts from 2500 BC, approximately one of the very first um, texts that we have. Uh, he tries to conquer death after a friend of his dies and is, and is faced with mortality. And he, uh, as part of the tests, he, he goes and finds the person that survived the flood, kind of parallel to the biblical flood. And because they survived the flood, they were granted immortality by the gods. And this person says to Gilgamesh, well, if you want to master death, you have to master sleep first. And so you have to stay awake for 10 days. Gilgamesh took an enormously long, arduous journey to find this guy and was exhausted by the time this test started and was asleep within minutes. Um, and, and the guy watching sees him fall asleep and he says, you know, he's going to be, he's not going to believe me that I told him I fall, that he fell asleep. He's going to say, oh, I just closed my eyes for a minute. So I'm going to stick out a loaf of bread. And when he wakes up, it's going to be all moldy because he slept for something like 10 days the proof that he had, had slept. So there seems to be this kind of overcoming, I can overcome my body and my mortality and my limits as a human being by not sleeping. My students don't want to sleep. I don't know what it is with, and I was the same age, same way, that age, college age students think that energy drinks and Starbucks um, is all that they need. And it's amazing how little they sleep, and the students nodding off. And, Study after study shows that if you sleep, you get better grades. It's pretty clear. Um, but uh, yeah, something something about the age really does not want to. Uh, for, for for most people that age don't want to sleep. They can overcome this. It's something they can sort of be strong about. And in general, I think there's there's a bit of a an attitude in society that. Um, sleeping too much is uh, not good and that we need to be hard workers. And that's uh, sort of where the title of my talk comes from. Um, I'm Only Sleeping is a Beatles song written by John Lennon, who apparently liked to sleep in quite a bit. And this was a sort of protest song against people badgering him for, for sleeping too much. Uh, read a little bit of the lyrics here, he says, Everybody seems to think I'm lazy. Uh, I don't mind, I think they're crazy. Running everywhere at such a speed till they find there's no need. Please don't spoil my day, I'm miles away. And after all, I'm only sleeping. And I uh, sympathize with that a lot. <laughs> uh, but John Lennon, despite his penchant for sleeping, uh, when he was with the Beatles, uh, Produced, they produced something like 13 albums in seven years, which is an incredible output of work. And so clearly wasn't just entirely lazy. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll put Mado on the spot a little bit too, who uh, I know likes to sleep in and strikes me as a very hard worker. And, <laughs> uh, and, and, I've, and I've heard you say that, that sleeping in, you feel really enables you to, to work that much. A poet I study the same way. He had to work to support his family all day in an editorial, editing books and translating, got home, ate dinner, and then worked for another six hours writing poetry and writing letters and said that he'd collapse at whatever time and sleep eight and a half hours because that was the only way he could do that. And despite having a, a pretty short career due to a, a, 
uh, an early death in his 50s, uh, produced an incredible amount of work and slept more than, than most people. So it's, um, it's interesting to think, especially you see both sides of this, is just reading in, in Dogen, he was talking about one of his teachers, Ru Jing, his teacher when he got to China, saying, Ru Jing told us one day, I don't want to have to, to hit you to wake you up, but you monks need it. And, you know, I wish I didn't have to. And he spoke, and Dogen says, he spoke so compassionately, we were all moved to tears. Um, I'm glad this was how things were 800 years ago and not now, because I, I, I wouldn't accept a teacher hitting me to wake me up. I would just say, okay, I'm sorry, I fell asleep. I'll go sleep more. I don't know why they just weren't allowed to sleep more. It was a little confusing to me, but we can see this even within Zen and Buddhist practice, there's a sense you have to, you have to fight against this. And to some degree, yeah, I, I, I find that sleeping and, and lazing around in bed for an excessive amount is problematic, but um, I think we should sleep as much as we need. Um, yeah, at least that's, that's my take on it. At the same time, though, it was interesting when I did a Vipassana retreat, and there you, uh, bedtime's at 10, and you're busy pretty much right up until then, and the wake-up bell is at 4, and six hours is okay, but it's a 10-day long retreat, so you have to put up with that for, for quite a long time, and most people don't sleep very well. Some people don't sleep at all, just have insomnia the whole time. And luckily, they give you time to nap, which I think is the only reason why I was able to survive that. But it was interesting struggling with, with low sleep and, and meditating, uh, especially because you meditate with your eyes closed, which I think induces sleep even more so. And by the end of that 10 days, and it was a big part of my practice in that, it sort of realized that, that fear is a big part for me. Um, I'm afraid of not having slept enough. And in that um, retreat, I at least temporarily overcame some of it. I remember I wasn't that worried about it. You start to notice, you get to know what it's like to be a bit sleep deprived and realize it's maybe not as big of a deal as you think. You're not off. I, I would notice, okay, my eyes are closed. I start to see images. And so I know, okay, here it comes. Here comes the, the sleepy phase of my meditation for the morning or the afternoon or the evening, happens several times a day. The images come, okay, here comes the nodding off parts. And then, okay, now I'm sort of back awake after I sort of had a half nap on the cushion. And it's, it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not the end of the world where often, like I said, what keeps me in bed is a fear that I haven't slept enough. And that the day will be a struggle. Um, how am I doing on time, by the way? I meant to look at the... Uh, 12, 7, 12, 7. Okay. What, what time does the Dharma talk end, theoretically? Okay. <laughs> I meant to look at my watch at the beginning, but I didn't. Um, sort of moving on to the end here, at, at any rate, um, I like this idea of I'm only sleeping as well because it's sort of I'm just sleeping, like I'm just sitting. Um, Sleep, I wonder to what extent it's uh, sort of nice, nicely singular activity. We can't really be doing much else when we're sleeping. Uh, though I thought about that and I realized, well, that's not necessarily true. Um, so we can be dreaming and 
something that I, I got into for a little while and always mean to get back into, though I don't know if it's right, but lucid dreaming. You, know, you train yourself to be awake in your dreams and try to control what's going on in your dreams. And I was thinking about that, that it's, uh, it's an interesting illustration of uh, interconnectedness of opposites. When I'm awake and I'm daydreaming or I'm just sort of listless and just whatever. Um, last talk I gave was I'm playing chess and I think I'm half asleep when I'm playing chess over when I'm playing too much and it's just sort of a way of turning my mind off. I think I'm more asleep there than I am sometimes when I'm dreaming, um, which is interesting. Sleeping and wakefulness maybe aren't so separate. Um, and I've read apparently there's there's some science that shows this that um, that that maybe there's there's not necessarily a strict division in whatever biological functions between sleeping and waking. Um, there's the mind can be extremely active when we're asleep and it can be extremely dull when we're waking and they can mimic each other. Um, no matter what, even see things that seem so clearly like I'm awake, I'm asleep, it's not so clear. And I thought this is an interesting relationship to, um, to, to waking up in, in, in a Buddhist sense where, where Buddha means one, one who's woken up. Um, but so when we think of, you know, I was sleeping or in a trance as in not being awake in this attentive sense. Um, so these things just seem to me, eh, just reflecting on these, just how mixed these, these issues are. Um, like anything, something I've, I've reflected on a lot is the frustration we get when we are distracted in meditation and what's the difference, you know, we think of distraction versus attention as opposites. And I think these are probably mixed in the same way. Um, even when we're really distracted, there's somehow still enough awareness there to then eventually realize that we're distracted. And even when we feel really, really clear, it's easy to go, wow, I feel really attentive right now, which is already taking you out of the <laughs> present moment. Um, so, so how these opposites just seem to be so close to each other in, in certain frames. Um, one other thing I'll mention about lucid dreaming that's interesting is in certain Tibetan traditions, they have lucid dreaming practice um, where they train to, to become more lucid in dreams and more aware. And it's, it's really fascinating. It's a fascinating world in lucid dreaming. Uh, it's a big mystery to me why this capacity exists and there's some functions in it and ways that it works that are just incredibly interesting to me. Um, yet at the same time, do we need, I don't know if I need to control my dream space. It seems like just another thing that I'm trying to control and it's very much I'd say a source of interest and, and, and pleasure of, you know, flying over a starry star-filled night and a lake below. Um, I think there's some attachment there to trying to make things happen, but it's, it also feels like an interesting exploration of your own self too. Um, so I don't know quite what to make of that, but you know, we think of sleep as letting go of control. It's, it's not necessarily. 
One, one last thing I'll share too that I find infinitely fascinating. I read and confirmed this with my experience is that um, having sex in a lucid dream, you think you might think, well, because these are the two things that what I read and it seems talking to most people when they become lucid in a dream, they either want sex or they want to fly. These are the two <laughs> things that people tend to do. Um, and you see a person and you think, well, this is just my imagination so I can just have sex with this person. It's all fine. You can't. Uh, unless if, if you just try to sort of force yourself, even though you sort of know it's not really forcing yourself because it's just your a, sort of a projection in your imagination, uh, the person will either disappear or run away or shrink into this weird thing and kind of become deformed. Uh, you have to you have to be polite about it and <laughs> set up a date or ask or try to flirt. And I mean, it's 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 very funny, but I think it's also I mean, it's just such a mystery why this is the case, because we know there's sort of nothing wrong with this or we think. But um, but even while we sleep, I wonder if it's just simply um, our Buddha nature manifesting um, that even though this looks even though we sort of know that there's I'm not hurting anyone else, we, we just abhor uh, this idea naturally that seems to come out clearly in our dreams. I, I don't know if, if people that are asocial or have um, whatever, I think given normal psychology, we just abhor this idea um, that we might try to like force ourselves upon someone, even, even when it's clearly uh, not real. Um, I, find, I find really amazing. Um, and yeah, it seems to be, seems to be our, our, our Buddha nature doesn't seem to sleep. Um, even though we might try to circumvent it, it seems, <laughs> seems to be there. Um, so the, I'll, I'll just close with the one thing that has helped me the most with waking up. It's really absurd, but practicing getting out of bed before I go to bed. And as I read this online, I was got online. How do I get out of bed in the morning? I'm terrible at it. Um, hit enter. Google. Um, it's uh, yes, yeah, so I read an article. This, this guy had the problem, and and rehearsing it before is just just like anything. Practice. I get into bed before I go to bed and pull up the covers and pretend that oh, I'm so cozy and I just woke up and I'm tired. I don't know if I want to get out of bed. No, nope, but I have to, and get out of bed and stand up and do that a few times. And if I do that regularly, it really helps. Just sort of train the muscle to get out of bed. So. I think like anything um, in our practice, it is, it is a matter of, of practice. Um, there, are, there are ways to, yeah, to practice with the hindrances and, and to learn from them by, by examining them. Thank you.